All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Got the Money Wise guys back inside the Money Wise studio with me for this weekend show. I have my brother Jeff, Joe Rust, and I'm your host, Kyle Davidson. Pretty new listeners to the Money Wise program. Davidson Capital Management is a fee-only registered investment advisor. We're in our 32nd year of business, and with offices in San Antonio and Corpus Christi, we have your investment management needs covered throughout Central and South Texas. And if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And finally, if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Well, as we kick off every weekend's Money Wise program, I turn it over to my brother, Jeff, to go into the numbers from Wall Street from last week. So, Jeff, take it away. Okay. In the week just passed, the Dow Jones Industrial Average was down about 157 points, or one-half of 1%. The S&P 500 last week was down about five points, or one-tenth of 1%. And the NASDAQ last week was down about 36 points, or three-tenths of 1%. Now, for the year-to-date, the Dow Jones Industrial Average is up 11.2%. The S&P 500 year-to-date is up 11.3%. And the NASDAQ year-to-date is up 8.8%. And before we get any further into this weekend's Money Wise program, just a little bit of housekeeping for listeners of the Money Wise program on 1200 WAI in San Antonio. We were going to have a half-hour shorter show for this weekend's Money Wise because the Spurs pregame, will be starting at the bottom of the hour. So we only have 30 minutes for the San Antonio show, but for listeners on 1360 KKTX, the Money Wise show is going to be the full two hours for this weekend. <clears throat> so I've got the housekeeping out of the way. Boy, we tried, to, we tried to finish the week positive. Dow, NASDAQ, S&P lost a little bit of steam in about the last 30 minutes on Friday. So a little bit of volatility this week. Most of it surrounded, most of it because of the news on Thursday, which it was kind of interesting in a way that should, are any of us surprised that uh, the president was going to float this uh, capital gains tax increase? I mean, we've been talking about it since the election. It's always, it's always funny to see the market react to something that it really shouldn't have had any reaction to at all. Uh, it should have been already well telegraphed that this was this was coming, uh, but but then by the same token, the market uh, the following day recovered nearly everything that it had lost uh, in just that in just on Thursday. But I thought what was really interesting, yes, guy, you want to say something? Well, I just wanted to say to explain to our listeners what exactly was announced okay. on Thursday, and the Biden administration came out around lunchtime on Thursday stating that Biden is floating the idea of raising the long-term capital gains tax for anyone making over a million dollars to the highest marginal tax rate, which is really the high marginal tax rate he wants to take taxes to with his tax reform bill to 39.6%. 
And so basically, for all intents and purposes, he's wanting to take long-term capital gains tax rates to 40% for investors that have taxable assets and a taxable account that make over a million dollars a year, which only affects yeah over a million dollars in income, which... I I really don't understand this because there's such a small percentage of investors that are making over a million dollars a year that have assets and taxable accounts. So this does not affect IRAs, does not affect SEPs, does not SEP IRAs, doesn't affect 401ks, doesn't affect your pre-tax assets. So not only are we narrowing down the accounts that this uh, capital gains tax would affect, but it's narrowed even more by focusing purely on the wealthy. And so, quote unquote, quote unquote, wealthy. So, like you said, Jeff, it's not surprising that the market reacted to it. As we know, so much trading is done on a daily basis through algorithms. So, I'm sure these algorithms picked up the feed from the AP and made their decisions purely based on words in the press release. But, like you said, Jeff, at the end of the day, as Friday opened up, you know, we, we recovered almost everything that was lost on paper on Thursday after that announcement. So essentially, the, essentially, the week was flat, more or less. I mean, I'm looking yes. at it. I mean, more or is, less, yes. More or less, it was flat. And if we hadn't lost that steam the last half an hour on Friday, we would have been slightly positive for the week really across the board. So, And I know if Dad had been, been on the show next uh, last week, he would have been talking about the overbought condition. That was a, that existed that had existed and maybe still does to a certain extent in the market. So to to have a week where we, we basically tread water, we got this week we had some earnings news, and, and I, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Kyle. I don't think you I don't think you had looked up what the uh, latest from FactSet. From FactSet. Next week is when we really get into the the heavy hitters. When we Apple, get into Google, Microsoft, Facebook, Facebook, Apple, Microsoft, the big, the big names, the mega, the mega cap names that have been driving gains uh, in the market post COVID, you know, since since the March lows of 2020, you know, they're all going to be reporting uh, next week. But re- rewinding a little bit back to this whole announcement on capital gains taxes, you know, you would think that an announcement like that would get some play in, in the financial press. Now I got some play on CNBC on Thursday afternoon, really the entire afternoon after it was announced around lunchtime, as Kyle had said, but in today's today's Fridays, pardon me, Friday's wall street journal. Okay. Is it on the front page? No, no. Is it anywhere in the first section, the a section? No. no. Is it on the front page of B section? No. In the Wall Street Journal, is typically three sections. The third section is is mostly advertisements, and the first two sections are financial related. Is it on B one? No. It is on the next to the last page of the B section, and only two paragraphs, less than fifty words, was said about. The tax plan, and it, it, it didn't even go into any details about what was said. All that, all that, it, all that it talks about is: well, the markets reacted negatively to the news that was announced about Biden's proposal for increasing capital gains taxes on the quote-unquote wealthy. That's it. This, 
does that show that what the Wall Street Journal's think and feel that the proposal that Biden floated on Thursday doesn't have a chance in Hades of Maybe. passing in the form that it is, so it's not even Maybe. worth the ink to print well, on the paper? Well, you think about New York, where's the Wall Street Journal from? And you think about California, how many people in California and New York make more than a million dollars a year? So well, that's true. I mean, the the, the two people, the, the two groups on the coast, definitely the, those elites. But we're going to take our first commercial break, so we're going to have to pick this conversation up when we come back from break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. Or if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So if you're just tuning into this weekend's Money Wise program, we were talking about the announcement that came out of the Biden administration this past Thursday of his desire to raise the capital gains tax rate for people making over a million dollars a year for all intents and purposes to 40%, which would be the highest income tax bracket where he's wanting to take the tax bracket with tax reform, which is probably going to be discussed in, in his proposal coming out later this year. And so, Joe, we were talking before we went to break, you know, the people that live on the East and West Coast that are in these, I mean, obviously there's people all over this country that could be blessed enough to be in that million dollar plus income range. But as we said, the last segment of the show, there's such a small number of folks that fit into that category. And then on top of that, you also have to have a post-tax or a taxable investment account for this to generate any kind of revenue for the federal government. And, and the thing is, and with the Biden administration, and I think a lot of our listeners would agree, is it just feels like they, they just don't think things through. They just really don't think things through of how little revenue generation is going to be. If they could just get more agents at the IRS to enforce <laughs> the taxes that haven't been collected, I believe the taxes Easy there, that haven't, well, I'm just saying the taxes that haven't been collected, I believe is approaching a trillion, possibly mm-hmm. even more than a trillion dollars that they haven't collected because they've had such a small budget that would bring in more revenue than what he just floated on Thursday with increasing long-term capital gains tax rate to 40% for people making over a million. My my whole point is on the West, on the, on the West coast and the East coast, there are a lot of people making over a million dollars a year that you would not quote unquote deem as ultra high net worth or wealthy. You know, that's well, just because the cost of living place. Exactly. Because that's the cost of living. And, and here's the thing. They were showing some things on Thursday that somebody in New York City that lives in New York City making over a million dollars a year. If this proposal passed in the form that it's in, they're going to be paying almost 60 percent in taxes. So what, you get to keep 40% of your income to stay and live in New York City? It's no wonder why so many people from New York There's State a, yeah, are moving to Texas. For that. Come on to Texas. Come on oh, down. That's ex- well, that's exactly what's happening. And we're seeing in San Antonio, not only from California, but from East and East and West Coast are moving here to Texas. So that's going to be a big boom for our state. But of course, it's driving up prices and housing for everybody. So looking, if you're looking to sell a house, it's a great opportunity and time to sell it. But you have to be able to find find something on the other end 
at an affordable price. But, 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 the, but the bottom line is, as Jeff, as you mentioned in the Wall Street Journal, the story is 50 words buried deep in Section B of the Wall Street Journal, which is leading me to believe that there's not a lot of confidence that this is going to make it through the Senate. Because as we've talked about on past Money Wise programs, the king of Washington, who wields as much power, if not more, than the president himself, is Joe Manchin, the Democratic senator from West Virginia. Because he has already pushed back on Biden's tax proposal, particularly the corporate tax proposal, saying that he wants to see the corporate tax go from 21% to between 25 and maybe 28%. They're still working out those details. And I don't think that he would be on board increasing long-term capital gains tax rate for people making over a million dollars to 40%. And he also doesn't want to do it with the filibuster, I believe. He so. doesn't want to do he doesn't want to do away with the filibuster and, and I think this this HR1 on the whole voting, he's not big on that either. And so he wields all the power. It's literally kiss Joe Manchin's ring if you want to get something done. But he's more, I would say, he's a very moderate Democrat, I would say, with Republican leanings because he is lives in a red state. So he is surrounded by the GOP. So he wants to hold on to his phony baloney job. So he has to appease his constituents, which I get. But that helps us for the folks that do support the GOP to not have these broad, street, these broad sweeping changes to everything that President Trump did for our country for the tax code and for our economy. And really what it boils down to, and Jeff pointed this out, I believe last week, is what impact do these these tax changes really have on the stock market in general? So if we have capital gains taxes that change, you might see some of your large cap stocks, a few of them sell off. How about Bitcoin? Bitcoin? How about Bitcoin Bitcoin selling off this week? Bitcoin or uh, people who had a certain – GameStop at the beginning of the year, but that, that, that might but, but, be worth anyway. But Joe, but Joe, you bring up an important point because when you go, if you use history as a guide, now past performance isn't indicative of future results. Past history isn't indicative of future results either. But just based on past history, in times past, which 2013 was the last time capital gains tax rates were, were changed, whether they've been increased or decreased, the net effect to the, mar- to the stock market at the end of the year is really infinitesimal. It, it doesn't really exist. And because this, this capital gains change, that this proposal that was floated by the Biden administration affects such a small number of investors across this country, the net effect of the market, if this were to pass in the form that it's currently in, I think at the end of the day is going to have a very limited effect because let's say you're one of, you're blessed to be one of those wealthy investors and you have millions of dollars in a taxable account. And now you're looking at paying a 40% capital gains tax rate. Well, you know what you do? You just sit on your investment. You don't cash it in and you wait for the next administration to come in. That will change well, all of the if, if something that's more logical. It, well, 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 if that's prudent. If that's, I mean, if that's prudent. But, it, but we know, and we know just talking to our clients, no one likes to, to pay any more money to the federal government with the way they spend. No one likes to write that check to the IRS. So a, a lot of folks, I think, would be more comfortable just sitting in the position than cashing in and having to pay that higher capital gains tax rate. Because if it was moved to 40, which the odds of that are very slim to none, but let's just say for argument's sake it does, people are just going to sit on it and wait for the next administration to come through. 
We we should have a bet on what we think it's going to be at the end of the day. What's the capital gains tax on Honestly, anybody making more than a million in a taxable account? I'm going to go with 25. I, I would say that if it's going to change, it might go from 20 to a maximum of 30. But 25, Joe, I think would probably be I mean, I'm just more... having some fun with this. No, no, well no. I, I, no, I, I, think, I think that's a logical step because – for people under a million dollars or people making under $450,000 with modified adjusted gross income below that level currently pay a 15% long-term capital gains tax rate. So having that 10% spread going from 15 to 25% for those that are in the wealthy category on a long-term capital gains tax rate, I think would make sense. But I guess that the point that we're trying to make to all of our listeners is not to get sucked in to these proposals that are floated. Don't get sucked in to be making these broad sweeping changes to your portfolio based on your political views, your political feelings, or your political emotions when these proposals are floated by the current uh, administration because what it's going to look like at the end of the day, if it even passes, is going to be vastly different. Do, Do you think Democrats actually read Trump's book, The Art of the Deal, when they came up with these numbers? Joe, I don't think they've ever ever read any book. Joe, Joe, do you want me to honestly answer? I don't think Democrats have cracked open a book on economics. You keep it purple. Sorry, econ. No, I'm just econ saying. Econ 101. Well, I, you start high, this. and then you, you end up somewhere in the middle. Hold on. I'll give you a client story. Okay, before you get there, how about this scenario? It gets phased in over a number of years. Say they raise it a couple of percent over, you know, stair step. Yeah, you two know, percent one year, two percent the next year, year after two percent the next year. I'm kind of on Kyle's, uh, more on Kyle's side. That maybe they split. We're at twenty. He wants to go to forty. They split it in the middle, and it's somewhere around thirty, and they phase it in over five years. Two. I'm writing this down, so I have you at thirty, Jeff. <laughs> we're but, taking but, bets. But I never play golf, and I never gambling is illegal at Bushwood. It gets, but phased, I got, it gets I phased in, okay. and so when they do this, if they give if they do this phase in. Well, then the next the next group of politicians that may get elected in 2022 can just come in and say, "Well, we're going to do away with this phase in, and we're going to stop." where it is, or we're going to go back, or we're going to do this, or we're going to do that. Ladies and gentlemen, there's one thing that, that is that is always that's always going to be happening, and that is they're constantly going to be fooling around with tax code. Constantly making the adjustments. And at the end of the day, uh, when it comes to making long-term investment decisions, <clears throat> the buy, a buy and sell decision is not it, – it's tax considerations are not a big – part of, of, of that consideration when it, you know, when it comes to managing money. There are, there are uh, strategies to try to minimize taxes, and I, and, I, and I have no doubt that there will be some folks that will probably take some gains if they do end up raising capital gains taxes by, by the beginning in 2022. There will be some gains taken this year, but I don't think it's going to be the end of the, of, of the bull market as we've seen it. Well, we're coming to the bottom of the hour break. So for listeners in San Antonio on 1200 WAI, this is going to be the end of this weekend's Money Wise program. If you would like to catch the rest of this weekend's show and past Money Wise programs, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com and click on the radio show link to listen to the rest of this weekend's show plus past radio shows here on the Money Wise program. So let's take that commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after this. 
Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at one 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing to, to cover kind of the biggest piece of news from this past week, which was the floating of President Biden's idea of increasing long-term capital gains tax rate for those making more than a million dollars a year. And we want to specify that, be very, very specific. But as we've been talking about in the first half hour of this weekend show, the odds of it being passed through Congress in the current form that was announced by Biden, I'm going to say it's 99.999 carrying off into infinity that it's not going to happen um, in that form, or if it happens at all. Um, I know John Boehner, for those listeners that remember who he was, he was the Speaker of the House under Obama, Republican. He'd recently written a new book and went on the uh, the talk show circuit, and I heard him in two separate nationally televised interviews, and he still has friends on both sides of the aisle in Washington, and he feels very confident saying that even the tax reform that's being floated by Biden is not going to pass, period, in any form. Now, I find that to be a pretty bold statement, but if anyone would be an insider in the know, I think would be John Boehner. I don't know what y'all think. I think it's all part of this whole negotiating process. So we've got one side shooting for the moon, and we got the other side saying, you know, the entire thing is dead on arrival. And somewhere in the middle is, is where they're, they're most likely going to end up. But I, I think what's another thing that, that I want to point out to uh, all of our listeners is that you've been, to, we, we're, we're talking to our clients, you know, on a daily basis and we're talking with prospective clients and one of the, the, the things that are very, very common theme that we've been hearing from uh, current clients and prospective clients over the last six months is, you know, there's, there's this nervousness. Yes. You know, there are people that were nervous. Uh, they're very, very grateful that we had a good year last year in the markets and that we were able to take it to protect protect them in March, protect clients in March, and then uh, grow the assets to grow the assets, grow the assets last year, given, given the environment that we were, that we were in a very challenging backdrop for, to say the least. And then with the election thrown in, there's, I think there was, there, there's, there still is uh, many investors that have, though they've had some participation in the market with maybe the majority of their assets or, or almost the majority of their assets. Some have held back uh, a substantial portion of their investments because they were concerned about the change in administration. They were concerned about uh, changes to tax rates and they, and they were concerned how one or both of these particular circumstances could conspire to create a poor market environment. Uh, and so they've held back, uh, they, they've, they've held a lot of cash in their investable net worth, 
that could have could have been you know put into the into the marketplace. And as Kyle, you were saying, I think in the first segment, we've said this, you know, for the last fifteen plus years of doing the Money Wise program, it's it's you have to be very very careful about you know getting political feelings, emotions, uh, you know, fear, which is an emotion clouding your judgment when it comes to long-term investing. And I'm start, you know, I'm, I'm hearing again this week, you know, people telling me about the cash that they've had on the sidelines and they tell me why. And it, it's, you know, well, here's another reason that it's out there now. Okay. We know Biden told us during the election that this is what they were going to go for. This was part of their platform. This is one of the things that they ran on. This is one of the issues that, energize their electorate, right? Elect me because I'm going to stick it to the rich, quote-unquote rich, right? And we're going to do it via tax increases, whether it's capital gains tax increases, whether it's marginal income tax. State taxes. We're going to go, yeah, all these different things. Closing loopholes, yeah, yeah, yeah. All the the typical rhetoric you're going to get in election year. So it should be, it's no surprise that, okay, after they get the uh, uh, stimulus bill done, and they're talking about the infrastructure bill that's they're still negotiating. Well, it's time to get the tax bill out. We got to get all this legislation out before we got to start running for next year because in the fall, they're going to start running for the 2022 midterms. And they've got a big uphill battle to, to fight. So it, it you know, it's always like like we'd said in the first segment of today's show. It, it's kind of funny, you know why why was the market be down three hundred points in an afternoon? Uh, because the, the the administration comes out and announces a, a tax plan that they had already told us they were going to do during the election. So the news is out, and what is what's the net effect been so far? We're down a hundred points since the close of, close of uh, market on Wednesday. In the Dow, mm-hmm. and we could it was be very short lived. It was, we, it was could, a knee jerk reaction. So, so it was, it's so it's out. So yeah. so now that fear shouldn't be so. You shouldn't be fearing that anymore. But 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 here's the thing, because I had a conversation on Friday with with a younger, very successful client of ours, and he was in the same situation, sitting on a, a tremendous amount of cash, wanting you know, thinking, is this the right time? Is this the right time? And I reminded him, I said, it's not about timing. It's time in, and because of his age, he had such a, he has such a large risk capacity. This is the time to be putting it to work because I don't know where the market is going to be tomorrow, but I have a pretty good idea where it's going to be five years from now, ten years from now, fifteen years from now. I have a pretty strong idea of where it's going to be, but I don't know what it's going to be a week from now. And so the whole key is it's not timing the market. It's time in. That's the key. Even if you're retired or getting ready to retire, it's still time in the market. You can't retire and throw all your money onto the sidelines or put it into cash or put it into fixed income and think you're going to be comfortable in retirement. You're not. You still have to have participation. This is when active asset management, security selection, and asset allocation, and a management philosophy that has been adhered to for more than 30 plus years that you have to rely on because we've spent those years in the trenches. doesn't mean every decision we make is going to be right. But if we get six to seven of those decisions right over the long term, it's going to make you money, net of fees, period. And so that's the thing that you have to remember. It's not timing. You just miss the one or two 
to three best days of a market in a given market year, it can significantly affect your annualized returns years from now. So that's why time in is such a key. So for those investors that are sitting on high levels of cash on the sidelines, this is the time to get it in. And if you're nervous, then dollar cost average it in. You know, when new money comes into our firm or when we bring on a new client, we're not going in all at once. Depending upon market conditions, it could take us five, six, seven weeks to get all the money in. And, and let's be honest, as we talked in the, in, in the first part of, the, of this weekend's show, technically, yes, we're overbought. So we talked even on last weekend's show, we could be seeing some pullback and some profit taking because we have seen the markets run up 11% for the Dow, 11% for the S&P. The NASDAQ is starting to make a nice comeback up over 8%, going on almost 9%. And so we going into May, and May is typically a month historically, the selling man go away. May hasn't typically been the absolute best month. But when we do see these pullbacks, these are going to be buying opportunities. That's what investors cannot forget, particularly with the ingredients that we're presented with, with the dovish Fed, you know, with $4 trillion plus dollars of money sitting in cash on the sidelines, with corporate earnings growth, with GDP growth, with us coming out of the COVID pandemic. These are all positive ingredients to push the market further and higher. But remember, the market is not going to move up in a straight line all at once. It takes breaks. It has to rest. You don't climb Mount Everest in a, in a day or in a week. Yeah, Joe. Well, I, th- I think you have to ask yourself, am I an investor or am I a timer? If I'm an investor, that's right. we always talk about building a portfolio. I won't use the analogy we've used the last couple of weeks because it'll just make me hungry. But Would that be the brisket? Would that, that be the brisket? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're doing some next week. But what I'm getting at is, And Kyle and Jeff, we've talked about it multiple times in the show and we're talking to clients. Asset allocation is your first line of defense, and it's also essentially the building block to make sure you're doing the right things over time and you have the right asset allocation model, you have the right underlying securities. And if you do it right and you have the mentality of an investor, these short-term things like taxes and everything else aren't going to have a major impact on your portfolio over the long haul. And corrections. And that is, I mean, Joe, have the mindset know, of an investor, not a timer. That's right. That, that, watching the media all the time. So. That's right. That's right. You hit the nail right on the head. No, I, he's absolutely right. I mean, it's a conversation I've had with some of our newer clients that are new to investing. You know, they've been very successful in their, in their, in their corporate life, but they've never really done much participating in the market. You have to have the mentality of I am a investor, I am an owner. I'm not a renter. I'm not a trader. And it's it's not about being a market timer. It's time in the market. So, Joe, I think that's it. That should be on a T-shirt. Be an investor, not a timer. And that's the, the one of the best pieces of advice that we could give to any listener of the show. So if you find yourself sitting on high levels of cash or have this high level of nervousness, this is why dollar cost averaging, slowly you know, buying in, at all different periods of time over the course of weeks or months, this is how you can mitigate that risk. Well, let's take another commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, 
or take advantage of a portfolio review and analysis from your Money Wise guys, you can reach us in our San Antonio or Corpus Christi office toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So in our last segment of the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, let's talk about some of the portfolio changes that we made. And we've talked about this on the program uh, and past Money Wise shows that, you know, one thing that we do, particularly with the individual stock and bond uh, accounts that we manage, is that throughout the quarter, we will start scanning our positions to see where we can scout profit, you know, take profits. As we say in the office and what we've been taught a long time ago by our dad is that you never go broke taking a profit. And so this past week on Wednesday, uh, had identified more than 20 individual positions in the portfolio that had become a little bit outsized uh, from an allocation standpoint and ring and rung the register and took some profits off the table. Timing happened to be very good because this was the day before the announcement from Biden when it came to the long-term capital gains tax adjustment that he would like to, to see happen, uh, which the market reacted unfavorably to. So it was good timing on our part to take those profits. But that's something that we recommend. And I think it also coincides with the whole conversation we've been having for this weekend's Money Wise program about capital gains. And that's something that you need to do is if you are managing the portfolio yourself or you're working with a financial salesperson who's not a money manager, who's not a fiduciary, who isn't making the, the buy and sell decisions in your portfolio, is to make sure you know what you own. Going back to Joe's statement from the very beginning of the Money Wise show is knowing what you own and paying attention to your unrealized capital gains, particularly if you're in a taxable account, if they're starting to get outsized capital gains where your allocation, you want it to be at 2% of your portfolio, but now it's 5% because you've been sitting in this position for years and have never taken a capital gain, this might be a time for you to maybe peel off some of those profits. Well, well, this would apply to any account, whether it had capital, whether it was taxable capital gains or not taxable capital gains. Yes. But this year so far, I believe, I know that we've taken more in capital gains in total through less than four months than we did in the entirety of 2020 in most all of our accounts. Uh, And that's just... I think that's just a function of the way you know, the way the market has been and, and and us wanting to keep under control our overall asset allocations to to all of those securities in our portfolio and and again from a if it, if you wanted to maybe say that we had there was a timing issue there even though we talk about time in not timing uh be taking some profits at a time when we're when we were uh, at these oversold, uh, pardon me, over overbought oh. levels, and, that, and that's, it, was, it, it was just an opportune time uh, yeah. to, to do that. And, uh, and that, and, and that was another reason because I know we had that conversation in our strategy meeting earlier this week because we both we all feel that we are in this overbought condition technically when the markets are you know achieving and reaching all time highs. Although Nasdaq still has a ways to go to get to fourteen thousand one seventy five, it's all all time high, but because we feel that the market was getting a little overextended and we had some profits to take, we felt that that was the good time to start ta- you know, to take them. But the one thing that we've always talked about is that rebalancing a portfolio, 
we don't consider just pushing of a button and completely rebalancing a portfolio active management. Now, it's wise to rebalance a portfolio. There's nothing unwise about rebalancing a portfolio periodically. But again, because we're active asset managers and we manage everything from a tactical standpoint, we just didn't go in there and push a button and completely rebalance our individual stock and bond accounts. We went in there and strategically found the individual stocks that we wanted to pull the, the, re, the register on and take the profits out. And we didn't turn right around and deploy those profits into some of our underperforming positions to bring their allocations back in line. Now that might be something that we do in the future, but just like the profits that we took was very strategically targeted, any buy-ins of some positions that we still want to hold long-term, but are just haven't been performing as well as we'd like to for we would like for them to in the shorter term, we're going to very tactically and strategically finding those particular positions that we want to deploy the cash that we made from the profits that we took. And so it's rebalancing in a sense, but it is much more from an active management standpoint. And that's something as investors you have to you have to think about. We're just pushing a button and rebalancing everything all at once. We don't consider active management because anyone can do that. The, the strategic targeting of positions to take profits and strategic targets to put those assets and deploy them to make buys to bring those positions back up in your portfolio, that is more of a tactical approach, and, and in our opinion. We've even had questions where a client will call in and ask what we're doing. We're, we're taking specific you know, profits from specific positions, and that's one of the fundamental differences between active money management and just sitting there and rebalancing your portfolio every quarter or every year. And do you see that in your statement? If you're, if you're not seeing that, you know, and you're seeing on a, on a quarterly basis, you know that they're actually not really managing the money for you. Well, so, one of the things I would ask folks, and I, I had actually said this to uh, a client that had some, had some money uh, at another uh, investment advisor I said, if you really want to know whether your advisor is actively managing your portfolio, go look at your March 2020 statement. If, the, if that advise, if your advisor didn't make any changes or very, you know, very minimal changes in in March of last year, then I would have to really question whether there's active management going on because there wasn't a month, you know, in the last. But you have to go to, back to nine eleven uh, when you when you have a shock like uh, to the to the uh, financial system like we like we were having with COVID to do nothing that month or very little that would be a dead giveaway. I mean, did did they, did they have some kind of, of of knowledge that oh well the markets are just going to come right back again so I don't need to do anything in the portfolio? I mean, ladies and gentlemen, we certainly didn't know that. No one in the investment world knew that the market was going to come back as strong as it did. Uh, so no one that, has a crystal ball. No one has you, crystal ball. But the, the reason that that didn't, the reason that there wasn't any changes made in the portfolio wasn't because they had a crystal ball. It's because they're not active managers. And if they're not active managers, then the next time something like that happens, or there's a more longer term uh, issue in the market that causes a longer term corrective or bear market type situation. Like 2008, 08, 09, you know, 2000, 2001, 2002, 2011, 2018, fourth quarter. You're, you're gonna, you, you name it. It's right. But but this is what you should be asking yourself also, Jeff and Joe. Are my assets worth being actively managed? 
maybe that's the question you should really be asking yourself because I'm sure any person listening to this show that has investments on Wall Street in the stock market, your assets are definitely worth active asset management. Period. Period. Your assets are worth it. Well, with that, we're coming up to the top of the hour, so we're going to take the break, go into the news, and when we come back, we'll be diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program and continuing with investor education. So stay tuned. We'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. We'll be back after the news. All opinions expressed by Davidson Capital Management on MoneyWise are solely theirs and are based upon information they consider reliable and is subject to change without notice. You should be aware of the risk in investing in any security or investment strategy discussed on the show. Before acting, you should consider whether it is suitable for your particular circumstances and should seek advice from your own financial or investment advisor. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. I've got my father, John. I'm your host, Kyle Davidson, and we are diving into the second hour of this weekend's Money Wise program. Now, if you'd like to learn more about us here at Davidson Capital Management, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. Now, if you missed the first hour of this weekend's Money Wise program, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Click on the radio show link where you can listen to today's show as well as past Money Wise shows. And you can also subscribe to our iTunes feed by clicking on the blue note in the upper right-hand corner of our homepage. So in our second hour of this weekend's program, again, like to use the second hour to go into investor education and the topic for this second hour is really a topic that needs to be on an on a rotation each and every month because it is such a critical topic for investors all across the country to learn, understand, and realize when it comes to the point of them selecting an investment professional to work with and what they need to be looking for and how they can research and find out the background and education levels and licensing levels of the investment professional that they're planning on working with. Now, a topic that we have discussed on past Money Wise programs, and I feel like we've been talking about this for years. I think from the beginning of the show. Well, I know that we've talked about this particular subject, again, the differences between a broker, a stockbroker, and a registered investment advisor, but in particular the the research and analysis that the Securities and Exchange Commission is doing when it comes down to the fiduciary standard. Uh, and later on in this hour, I'm going to go into the definition of the fiduciary standard and what stockbrokers, what laws and directions they have to follow working with their clients and what what laws and rules and regulations that registered investment advisors like us here at Davidson Capital Management have to follow, and in particular revolving around this fiduciary standard, because this has been a topic that has been discussed at length really post-financial crisis. Um, And the Dodd-Frank Act, which took effect in 2010, put in uh, an an actual law 
that goes into the ability of the Securities and Exchange Commission to create a uniform fiduciary standard, which has yet to actually take place uh, across the financial service industry. And an article that came out of the Wall Street Journal this past week uh, titled SEC uh, Head Backs Fiduciary Standards for Brokers and Advisors again goes into Mary Jo White, who's the head of the Securities and Exchange Commission, um, you know, really wanting tighter standards uh, for financial advisors who recommend stocks, bonds, and mutual funds to individual investors. And for any longtime listener to this program, they understand that your traditional stockbroker is on the financial sales side of the financial service industry where registered investment advisors like us at Davidson Capital Management are on the asset management side of the industry. Well, let me say something right here, Kyle. The word advisor, I think, confuses the man in the street. In the old days, when I was a broker, we were either a broker or a registered representative. Advisors, financial advisors or investment advisors, by definition, were registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. What has happened is the word registered representative or broker has been dropped by Wall Street, and they have picked up various terms which they really like to use, whether it's a wealth manager or a they like financial to use advisor. Financial advisor, but they obviously don't say registered financial advisor because they wouldn't be working for a brokerage firm or registered few. investment advisor. So, so, so you the word advisor confuses the investor in the street. It it, it does, and a, again, I don't. I mean, I, I would hate to say that this is just strictly marketing, but it really comes down it is to marketing. marketing. It it does come down to marketing, and it's to convey the idea to a potential to a prospective client that the powers and abilities of that investment professional are above and beyond what they actually legally can do or what they normally do do with you know when it comes to working with their clients and you know last month the labor department is planning its own set of rules to tighten standards on financial professionals who advise on retirement account investments such as 401ks and of course and, Barack, president yes, obama, president obama has endorsed these these we haven't had a president get involved and 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 so he came out several months back talking about wanting to have these new standards and and you know really the department of labor is going and saying well hey we're putting in these new standards securities and exchange commission why don't you put these standards in as well and mary jo white the head of the sec makes it very clear that you know we're two different regulatory agencies and that we have our own processes and procedures that we have to go through in order to put this into place but that she had, she had stated that she has been intensely studying this fiduciary standard regulations and what exactly the Securities and Exchange Commission is going to do. Now, the fact that she's been intensely studying this for just the last few months, I feel like we've been talking about this for years. So why is it just being intensely studied over just the last couple of months? Well, maybe before we put our listeners totally to sleep using these fiduciary words and whatnot, why not give an example of why this should be something our listeners should be listening to? Well, I'm going to have to get to that example after we come back from the commercial break because the the, the story the no, you didn't check the clock. the 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 real world example I'm going to give, and and it really could apply to some of our 
a lot of our listeners that are listening right now of what you might run into when it comes to that point in time where you're ready to hop on that horse and ride off into the retirement sunset and you start going out and interviewing investment professionals that you might be planning or, or looking to work with. And as we've always advocated on this show, don't get caught behind the eight ball when it comes time to prepare and plan for your retirement as far as the investment professional that you're going to work with. You need to start the interview process six to eight months out, even 12 months out, just so you get all of your ducks in a row because the last thing we would want to see happen, and we've seen this time and time again talking and working with prospective clients coming into Davidson Capital Management, is that they waited to the last minute, they got thrown a sales pitch at them, that sounded so good to be true, too good to be true, but they signed on that dotted line and wound up getting involved in something that they wound up later regretting because they didn't do their proper due diligence uh, and doing the research it, It's re- research that's required before you hire an investment professional. So when we come back from the commercial break, I'll give you an example of going into the differences between suitability and fiduciary standard, and we'll do that after this. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. You Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you have an investment-related question or topic you'd like for us to discuss here on the Money Wise program, you can send all your emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing our investor education, um, and again, I, I know we were talking during commercial break that some of this subject matter might be seen dry and boring, but this hour is so critical for any investor to listen and to learn from to protect themselves, to protect the retirement nest egg that they have worked 30, 35, 40, 45 years to build to not get taken by potentially unscrupulous investment professionals that are looking to make a very large and quick buck and big commission and to understand the rules and regulations that folks follow in the financial service industry and how they vary so greatly between that of your traditional stockbroker versus a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management. So I wanted to give you a real-world example, and this comes from one of our clients, this real-world example. Um, Several years ago, we had met, I mean, several, I mean, we're talking six, seven years ago, met with a prospective client who was going to be retiring and had, excuse me, had already retired, had purchased an annuity, very sizable annuity, and the annuity was getting ready to be outside of its surrender penalty period. And they were looking to do something else with it. So they met with us, gave them you know, the, whole, the whole spiel, uh, the whole presentation as we do with any prospective client after we did a, a portfolio review and analysis for this prospective client. And I remember distinctly remembering in the meeting I, I told him, whatever you do, whether you hire us or you hire somebody else, do not buy another annuity. And he said, gotcha, got it, understand. 
So this prospective client goes, leaves our office, follow up with them, don't hear back from them. About 16 months later, we get a phone call, and it was this prospective client. And he said, I need to come in and talk to you. Okay, comes in. Before I even round my desk, he says, you're probably wondering why I'm here. I'm like, sure. Why are you here? He said, well, I should have listened to your advice, and I didn't. I'm like, well, what do you mean? He said, well, look. And he hands me his paperwork, and what he had bought was another annuity, a variable annuity. And I asked him why. You know, give me the background as to what you did. He said, I called two stockbrokers in New York City. I called two stockbrokers in the state of Florida. I called a stockbroker in San Antonio, Texas. And all five of these stockbrokers all recommended an annuity to me. And he said, after talking to all five of these different brokers and different offices at different firms in different states, he thought to himself, well, if all five of these brokers are recommending annuity, then this is the direction that I need to go. This is what I should be buying because these five folks don't know each other from Adam, and they don't even work for the same firms, but that's what they're recommending. And, of course, when I relayed to the prospective client who then became a client that the reason why they were recommending it is because it pays the highest commission on Wall Street and explained to him round about the six-figure commission that was paid to these brokers, I just about saw his jaw hit the floor. Well, he wanted a guaranteed stream of income. That is what he wanted. It was important to him to have a monthly check. So when he went to these brokers and said, I want a guaranteed stream of income that I know it's coming in, well, the brokers basically have two choices, both of which are suitable for him. Choice number one is an annuity. Whichever insurance company that brokerage firm uses, they will select that annuity. That annuity will pay the most generous commission there is for a broker on Wall Street today, as far as we know. The other choice to provide guaranteed income is a government bond. In fact, it's the only investment, not the annuity, that can truly say, say it provides a guaranteed stream of income. The only difference being the income can vary because government bond rates will vary with maturities. For the broker, however, the commission on the same portfolio is about 98 99% less than what he would be getting personally in the annuity. That is why five different brokers from five different firms in four different states all had the same example. They were both suitable investments, and the broker only has to do what is suitable. And that is the whole point of this second hour is to relay real-world examples of the difference between suitability and fiduciary. And just to kind of go into that, you know, what is a fiduciary? A fiduciary is someone that manages money for the benefit of, of another called a beneficiary. A fiduciary is bound by law to place the interest of its beneficiary first before the fiduciary's own interest. Now, stockbrokers, also called registered representatives, account executives, financial well, advisors, wealth managers, are not fiduciaries. 
even though they have engaged in high-visibility advertising to portray themselves as full-service investment advisors. It's real easy. Ask your stockbroker if he or she holds a Series 7 securities license. If he or she does, then it's, it's probable that they aren't a fiduciary. And you have to understand, a registered investment advisor like we are here at Davidson Capital Management are subject to the Investment Advisor Act of 1940, which makes us a fiduciary. Okay? And it's so, so important. I mean, we cannot stress well, this enough in that example, to understand the difference. In the same example, a choice for us between an annuity and a portfolio of government bonds as a fiduciary, we have to go with the government bonds because that is what is best for the client, not what is suitable, what is best as a fiduciary. And a non-fiduciary stockbroker follows only the suitability standard, which doesn't require a stockbroker to place the interest of their client ahead of their own. Under the non-fiduciary suitability standard, a stockbroker need provide only suitable advice to it, to their clients, even if the stockbroker knows that the advice is not in the client's best interest. A non-fiduciary stockbroker, you know, bottom line, they have a fiduciary duty to their broker-dealer, to who employs them. That is who they have a fiduciary duty to, not their client. And it, I, I can tell you, Dad, when I sit down with prospective clients and I tell them that financial salespeople, stockbrokers, are not required by law to put their interests in front of their own, it blows their mind. But what's, a, what's unfortunate is that individual investors don't understand that there is a difference between what registered investment advisors do, what we do here, versus what a broker does. It was the manager at Bayesian Company that I worked for as a manager that led me to become a registered investment advisor. That you worked as a broker for? Yes, I worked as a broker for them. One day I was analyzing the bond market. I was sitting at my desk looking at this chart, that chart, and he came up to me and said, John, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm trying to figure out what the long bond's doing. And he said, we don't pay you to be an analyst. We pay you to sell securities. We're not in the business of analyzing markets, managing money. We're in the business of selling securities. The light went on in my head, and from that day forward, I chose the path of becoming a registered investment advisor. And it all went back to the manager at a brokerage firm and a young broker trying to understand and help his clients. And a registered investment advisor must follow the trust standard, and it's the highest known in law, which requires an RIA, a registered investment advisor, to place the interest of their client ahead of their own to fulfill the critical fiduciary duties of trust and confidence. So, again, that's that trust standard versus the suitability standard. And this is why when you go to the big-name brand broker-dealers, I mean, you can list them off. There's commercials all over the place, all over television, radio, the computer for these, for these firms. You know, you have to understand they're in the job of asset collection, asset harvesting to sell investment products. And it's also important when we come back from the bottom of the hour break to, to go into a lot of the proprietary relationships 
that are in place with your traditional broker dealers and mutual fund families and other investment product providers to understand and really i think what also led a lot of investors to to have received advice during the financial crisis of staying the course and why that advice came so much so from your traditional broker dealer or stock brokerage type firms and so we'll get into that when we come back from the from the commercial break you're listening to money wise with davidson capital management We'll be back after these words. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906 0070 or toll free at 1 800 275 2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So continuing discussing that critical difference between your traditional stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, um, I wanted to talk briefly about the proprietary relationships that brokerage firms have. Now, prior to joining Davidson Capital Management, I spent a few years uh, as a mutual fund wholesaler where my clients, as a mutual fund wholesaler, were stockbrokers. I sold my company's loaded mutual funds to brokers in the state of Texas because that was part of my territory in the state of Texas. And it's important for investors to understand of these relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms. Um, in every single mutual fund family, you're going to have a mutual fund family that has some great mutual funds, some decent to average mutual funds, and some not-so-good mutual funds. Dogs. Dogs. Poor-performing mutual funds. But a lot of these brokerage offices have very limited shelf space of the mutual fund families that they want really prominently displayed in the office. And sometimes in order to get shelf space, there are marketing fees that are paid and things of that nature. Now again, this was in the late '90s, early 2000s when I did the, you know, when I was a mutual fund wholesaler. Um, it's important to understand that a mutual fund wholesaler's job is to gain a relationship with a broker and to educate them about the mutual funds that are being made available by the fund family and sell them on why they need to be selling these funds to the clients. But it's also important for clients to understand that some mutual fund families have revenue sharing agreements with brokerage firms where the brokerage firm collects a portion of the management fee being charged by the mutual fund family for those clients' assets to be in there. And really the point I'm working towards is getting back to the financial crisis. Because when we're meeting with prospective clients after the financial crisis, we always, when we do our portfolio reviews and analysis, I always ask, well, what was the advice and guidance that you were receiving from your investment professional, from your broker during the financial crisis? And 10 out of 10 times, the advice was stay the course. And they were the prospective client would question me, you know, why was the advice stay the course? Why wasn't it like, let's get a little more liquid, let's, let's get some money on the sidelines, let's get some cash on hand? 
And I really, and again, in, in, in my 17 years of experience, what my mind leads back to is revenue-sharing agreements that brokerage firms have with mutual fund families and other financial product providers that if assets are not in these mutual funds, then there's no revenue to share because there's no management fee being generated by the mutual fund family. So if advice coming from brokers to their clients was let's sell, let's get more liquid, then these brokerage firms could be slicing their own throat and the revenues that they're that, that are being driven that they're being driven off of these mutual fund holdings by their clients at these brokerage firms. So it would have seriously cut into their bottom line if it was let's get out, let's get liquid because now there's no revenue coming from these outside mutual fund families. And it's important for investors to understand. And I can tell you that when we do portfolio reviews and analysis, and particularly there's certain brokerage firms that have affinity, that have a love for very particular mutual fund families. Well, you can basically name a firm, and we will name without even look, without even looking at the portfolio, not even seeing the portfolio, we could bet the potential client you own one of these funds from a particular fund family just because we've been doing this you know in our 26th year of business and we've reviewed quite a few portfolios in those 26 years we see a pattern we see a trend and because of my inside intimate knowledge of the relationships that mutual fund families have with brokerage firms it's no surprise now listeners are probably you know y'all are probably hearing this on the radio thinking well gosh how can brokerage firms do this it's suitable. They're in, it's suitable. It's suitable. It's, it's suitable. It, it's They're suitable. not violating any rules. They're not violating any laws. That is the whole point of this second hour is so you understand. There's a great commercial on right now. I love this commercial because it really sums up what we're talking about. And it's these two gentlemen, and he's giving the guidance to the prospective client, and he hands them this giant grain of salt. <laughs> And he hands it to him, and he says, you know, we're going to be in this fund, this fund, this fund. And he says, oh, by the way, I get paid a higher commission and higher trailing fees on this because of our proprietary relationship, you know, with these with these funds. And he said, well, you know, shouldn't that be illegal? And he's kind of like, yeah, I, well, no. no, not really. I mean, he kind of has a look like, well, I guess you got a point, but no, it's not illegal. But I'm going to be making higher higher fees off this proprietary relationship that we have with these fund families. And I love that commercial. It's just started playing, so I'm sure our listeners have seen this commercial. Pay attention to it because that is what we are talking about. Well, you know, there's another commercial that the financial consultants are doing in which they hired a DJ in Dallas. And they cleaned him up, got rid of his dreadlocks. He's really a nice-looking guy. Well, no, that's talking about financial planners, and I have a whole other bone to pick about financial planners, yes, but, which I'll get to. But within this, he looks the part. They put him in a he nice sounds the part. They put him in a nice office, you know, glass, uh, everything you would want. He's got the columns. He's got the suit. He's smooth-talking. And, and he asked him, would you give me the account? Well, sure we would. And he said, would you like to know what my experience is? And, and I'm a my, DJ. You know, I'm a DJ. And he shows pictures of him, you know, dancing around. So, uh, you know, again, but I think that also comes back to another article, which we're not going to talk about on this weekend show, about 
just the number of don't don't let the number of accolades and awards received by a financial <laughs> professional dazzle you think making you think that they have a higher level of expertise or experience and experience than they actually do because again it's all marketing um but you know i will i do want to talk about uh financial planners before we go to the next break because this is something we've also talked about on the show and Financial planning has has really become a, a really booming industry. And there are designations, a certified financial planner, which is a very difficult designation to get. You have to go through a lot of education, a lot of test taking. It is not easy to do. Plus, you have to have industry experience to get the CFP designation. And we're not taking away from that because it's a very prestigious designation. It is. But... You have to be very, very careful how this potential financial how this financial planner is getting compensated because we have seen situations where financial planners are using this financial planning designation as another marketing tool as a way to sell investment products, as a way to generate commissions. So you have to ask, as the prospective client, how are you getting compensated? Are you fee-only? Are you fee-based financial planner? Or are you selling investment products where you're earning a commission? And you need to ask those questions. And if they're not giving you a straight answer, that is when you slowly get up from the table and you walk away. You, as a prospective client, have the right to ask a straight-up straight question and get a straight-up answer. Ask them, do you have your Series 7? If they have a Series 7, pretty good chance they're compensated on commissions. And that's when with the whole situation with suitability versus the fiduciary standard, if they say, well, I have my 65, which is to be a, a registered investment advisor representative, without a Series 7 or a Series 6, then they'd be leaning more on the side of fee only. And, of course, at Davidson Capital Management, we are completely fee only registered investment advisors, which puts us on the same side of the table as our clients because the more money we make for our clients, the more money we make for ourselves, and vice versa. We are not compensated based on commission. And being a registered investment advisor means that we are fiduciaries. We have to follow the trust standard required by law to put our client's interest in front of our own. But you have to understand these differences when you sit down with a financial professional to understand who you're potentially getting involved in and don't let a lot of letters after their name on the card dazzle you into thinking that they have a level of expertise and knowledge that they may or may not have. You have to vet them out yourself. You have to dig deeper. As I've said, going back to 2005 on this radio show, and you know what we've also talked about on the show is the way that you can look up your investment professional that you're thinking of working with or who you're, or who you are currently working with simply by going to Google, typing in the Google search broker check and that will take you to the FINRA website and FINRA is the regulatory body overseeing the really the financial sales arm of the financial service industry. You type in your broker's name and it will go to their report. Now, the one thing to keep in mind, and I've seen this, is that we've seen brokers starting to use middle names or 
different first names to try to get around potential bad reports. I've noticed this, that they make these name changes so you can't track them down as easily. But you still have that tool available as a prospective client to go in and do research on that investment professional to find out if they have any regulatory issues, any customer complaints, what those complaints are involved, to see if they have any personal bankruptcy or personal financial issues, or if they've had any criminal misdemeanor or felony charges in their lifetime. So utilize the tools that are available. Well, we've got to take our last commercial break. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. Your Money Wise guys will be back after this. Welcome back. You're listening to Money Wise with Davidson Capital Management. If you'd like to learn more about the Money Wise guys, you can go to our website at davidsoncap.com. Or if you'd like to give us a call in our office on Monday to discuss your personal financial situation, you can reach us in our Corpus Christi office at 906-0070 or toll free at 1-800-275-2162. And if you'd like to send us an email, you can send all emails to moneywise at davidsoncap.com. So before we went to commercial break, again, spending the second hour of this weekend's MoneyWise program talking about, again, the critical differences between a stockbroker and a registered investment advisor, and, and, and also at the beginning of the hour talking about how the SEC is still in the process of studying to find out whether they're going to hold traditional stockbrokers to the same fiduciary standard as we are held to as a registered investment advisor here at Davidson Capital Management. And I have a feeling this is going to be an ongoing saga that's never going to reach a conclusion um, because, again, I think that this would put a serious uh, dampening on revenues at traditional broker-dealer firms across this country. So I'm definitely not holding my breath. The fact that this that this provision or, or the discussion of adding this provision has been around since the Dodd-Frank <laughs> Act of 2010, and we're now in 2015, and the head of the SEC, Mary Jo White, has only been intensely studying it for the last few months, I'm not holding my breath no, that anything is going to get done. Going to so what you have to do as an investor, you have to arm yourself with knowledge. That's one reason why we have the Money Wise program and why we're in our 10th year of doing it. But you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to be an educated consumer. And before you sign on that line is dotted, you have to utilize all the, the research capabilities that are available on the Internet. And as we went to the last commercial break, talking about utilizing the FINRA website, which is the regulatory body of broker-dealers, of stockbrokers, and doing what's called a broker check. By Googling, broker check takes you right to the website. You type in your broker's name, and you pull up their permanent record. I always jokingly <laughs> say, you know, in high school, school, you've got your permanent record. Well, in the financial service industry, whether you're a registered investment advisor like we are, or if you're a or if you're a stockbroker, we all have a permanent record called our U4. And it tracks you throughout your entire career. So if you've had run-ins with client complaints, customer complaints, and what those complaints are, to see that if you've actually gotten sued by a former client and actually had to pay restitution, or if the brokerage firm or firm you worked for had to pay restitution. It talks about if you've had any kind of bankruptcies or personal financial uh, issues 
that is also reported in the U-4 on broker check or if you've had any misdemeanor or felony charges. And, I mean, I know for a fact just from doing my own research that we have an insurance salesman here in town that avoided a potential 10 years in prison on a drug felony charge (laughs) because of a legal search and seizure. I found this on broker check. I found this on broker check. I found a gentleman here in town, a prospective client, was getting ready to hand over over a million dollars of his hard work, his life savings, and this financial professional had filed bankruptcy three separate times. Now, I understand people run into financial difficulties. You know, I'm not making light of that. But if you've run into a situation where you've had to file bankruptcy multiple times and you can't keep your own financial house in order... I, as a prospective client, I would be a little nervous turning over my life savings to someone who's a financial professional who can't keep their own financial house in order. There's just no reason for people to do this when this is available to them. That's right. And, and, and again, you're going to go and, and look up financial professionals that have a very clean record, but it's also going to show you what licensing they have going back to this, that if they have a Series 7, that their compensation can come in the form of commissions. So again, knowing that they're on the financial sales side of the business, um, you know, for us at Davidson Capital Management, having our Series 65 as a registered representative of a registered investment advisory firm. We follow the fiduciary standard that we have to follow as an RIA. I haven't seen numbers. I know once upon a time I think we quoted there's 15,000 of us and there's over 300,000 of them. Closer to 400,000. Well, I mean, Registered investment advisors is a very small minority in the financial service industry. So you're more often than not going to run into a traditional stockbroker then you are a registered investment advisor. Now, I, I want to just kind of give this blanket disclosure. You know, we're not using this hour to beat up on brokers. There are a lot of good, hardworking brokers. In fact, one of my friends is a broker that, that are, do right by their client, that do a good job. But you have to understand as an investor what type of an investor you are. If you're the type of an investor that likes to call the shots of what's bought and what's sold in your portfolio and when that occurs, you're best suited to work with a stockbroker. That's really what they're there for. They, You can ask them questions. They can give you some advice and guidance. You can bounce investment ideas off of them. They can give you their personal opinion, and they can process the trades for you. If you're the type of investor that doesn't want to have that control, that wants to turn over the decision-making on a day-to-day basis to the investment professional, then you're best suited to work with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management. And you have to understand the brokerage industry over the last 15-plus years, because of the pressure they've been feeling from registered investment advisory firms like us, have developed programs to give you that active asset management from either themselves at the brokerage firm or an outside money management firm that they partner with. But you have to understand that your broker is not the person that is making those day-to-day decisions. Your broker is nothing more than the middleman of that transaction. They're getting paid a fee to steer your money to an outside asset manager or to the home office to an asset management group that you will have no relationship with. They won't know you from Adam. 
and you're paying an extra layer of fees on top to have your broker being nothing more than a mouthpiece in this transaction where instead of working directly with a registered investment advisor like a Davidson Capital Management, you eliminate that extra layer of fees. You go directly to the source and you have that personal relationship with that investment professional who's making those day-to-day decisions with your assets. You can look at them in the white of their eyes when you're working directly with a registered investment advisor. So you have to utilize the tools that are available to you. You have to understand those critical differences between a broker and a registered investment advisor and the differences between what is suitable, what brokers follow, and what registered investment advisors follow as a fiduciary and following that fiduciary standard. And if any of our listeners want more education, do not hesitate to pick up the phone and give us a call at Davidson Capital Management at 906-0070 or toll-free at 1-800-275-2162. And with that, we'd like to thank everyone for listening to this weekend's Money Wise program. For my father, John, this is Kyle Davidson saying have a fantastic weekend. And to your financial health, we will talk to you next week.